Hey, congratulations, folks. Welcome to another episode of The End with Adam. Guess what, guys? It's 2022. That's right. We're two years into the tectonic shift that was uh, 2020 and all the things that happened in that year. Uh, We are now two years into that, uh, that new world. And uh, on the eve of this new year, I wanted to go ahead and continue my podcast. It's been a few weeks, guys. Uh, I've been busy for the holidays, and there's been quite a lot going on. But I did want to come back to you guys with a special episode this week. Nice, good, old-fashioned, long episode here. I'm going to pack a lot of information into this. A lot of uh, new content's going to be in this. I want to put together uh, something that's a little bit different in format, but we'll see how you guys like that. Uh, As for now, today is the first week of the new year. This is going to be coming out this week. Um, I hope everybody started the new year with good, you know, intentions, whatever it is, Um, good thoughts. I hope that you tried at least to start uh, fresh this year and kind of leave whatever bullshit or whatever baggage you may have had. Uh, in the past couple of years and, you know, just kind of put that down for a second and try at least to start this year uh, on a new good foot. That's what I hope for all my listeners, everybody out there. That's what I'm trying to do. That's what I'm going to be doing in this podcast. Things are definitely going to be different. Um, I just personally feel as though, you know, the old way I was doing the podcast where I would kind of just tell you guys stories about my life and try to bring some sort of lesson out of it. We'll still be doing a few of those, uh, but with this, I kind of want to start bringing back on guests. I want to start talking about new things. I want to start, you know, filling up the content with more than just uh, melancholy old stories from the past. This is the year of the future, and this podcast will reflect that. We are looking forward, ladies and gentlemen. The backward days are over. Uh, If you want to listen to any of the old stuff that I've got on here, any of the uh, stories that I might be telling or referencing from here on out, uh, you can always go back into the catalog and listen to the first season of this podcast, which was all interviews from people from my past, the second season, which was the sort of transition towards what we're going to be doing more of now, which is you know a little bit of commentary, do some uh, anonymous posts that we respond to, uh, and then of course, you know, I try to wrap things up with a, a good little anecdote from uh, some things that have happened to me in my life. Um, But, you know, we'll be keeping fragments of of that format, but uh, I definitely want to experiment this year and try some new things. And some of those things you guys are going to absolutely love and come back for more of. And some of them you're going to be like, yo, fuck this shit. Uh, But we live and we learn, guys. So that's my plan this year is living some more and learning some more. So with that, let's jump in. This was the first year in a lot of years that I genuinely had no interest in partying or celebrating the new year in any real way. I did have fun. Um, I did have a good New Year's. But in terms of it being a big old party where I fly to D.C. and run around with my friends and spend a ton of money and, you know, kind of treat it like it's one big party, that that was not the mood this year. Not to say that I was trying to be, I don't know, uh, overly dramatic about shit. 
it's not that it was more just I really do feel like I am over that I didn't want to open up the new year with a hangover with a flight with just headaches <laughs> and I hope uh people listening can understand you know where I'm coming from with this I'm not shitting on anybody that may have partied or had a good time please do that I mean god damn it if not for yourself then for people like me who want to kind of end that part of their lives um you know I want to live vicariously through those people that are still partying and having a good time so please don't take this as me trying to shit on you my God, um, somebody's got to do it. You know, somebody's got to go dummy on on New Year's. But for me, I think those days are over. Um, I'm not saying that I won't still have good times. I'm not saying that there won't be a time where I might find myself at a party uh, for New Year's. But I am starting to find myself enjoying more and more uh, just kind of sitting shit out, <laughs> kind of not making everything a big production, uh, whereas you know, two, three years ago, that was all I did was plan for the next big production plan for, oh God, I'm going to go meet up with these people and they've got a party here and we're going to go pregame at this place. Then we're going to go to this place that we need a $50 cover for. And then this guy's got a voucher for me so I can go to the VIP room. Then da, 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 da. There was something so repulsive about that this year. I couldn't tell you what it was, but there was just something about that, that I wanted no part of. Uh, and I was successful in accomplishing not having any part of that. Uh, I was right about to go to D.C. I was right about to kind of just push that button and do that again. Because, frankly, I felt like I deserved it. And I felt like it would be uh, kind of a fun experience because I hadn't gone to D.C. and partied in a while. There was plenty of reasons for me to kind of, you know, go dummy this year. But I just didn't. Uh, I spent time with somebody else and stayed right here uh, in Metro Detroit. And uh, it was great. It was a really fun uh, time. But for those of you guys that might be, you know, still recovering or taking that flight home or however you're listening to this, um, I definitely think that this year for a lot of people was kind of that first gasp of fresh air, you know, after kind of being locked away for a year. Maybe a lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people lost money. A lot of people lost money. Excuse me. There was just so much to not celebrate in 2020 that I feel like a lot of people in 2021 were like, fuck it, good or bad, this year I'm going to celebrate. And I feel that, guys. I feel that and I love that. And that's the spirit that um, keeps things going, keeps holidays continuing, keeps people happy, keeps this fucking planet turning. So I like that mentality and um, I definitely, again, don't want to shit on it. But uh, this was the year for me that my party was sitting out the parties like that was the most uh, fun I could have had for myself. And uh, that was kind of what I did um, going into Christmas and the holidays is something I want to do this episode uh, just because, you know, you guys haven't heard from me in a while. And maybe some of you guys had rough holidays this year or, you know, you just don't like the holiday season in general or this may have been a time for you that was very reflective or whatever it was. Um, I want to make an episode to kind of address you guys and address uh, that, you know, the reality that sometimes this period of time for a lot of people can be really rough. So uh, I definitely wanted to acknowledge that this episode. And that's what I'm going to be doing uh, just by talking about a little bit of things here and sharing some stuff that I found uh, through some anonymous posts online 
just to kind of make the people who, you know, may not have had a holly jolly Christmas uh, not feel as alone as they may typically feel. But who knows? They might enjoy being alone. I sometimes do. In fact, I've been enjoying alone uh, a lot more in 2021. And I don't know if I want to change that. Uh, I don't know if I want to go back to being a super social person or doing a bunch of social things. I think that may be over. Who knows? In two weeks, I might be telling you guys about how I started my career as a uh, art dealer and party socialite. You know, you never know. Things change. But uh, yeah, let's let's jump in with some more um, kind of in-depth discussion about the holidays and uh, some of the I guess, challenges that a lot of people might be dealing with. And let's talk about them. All right, guys. See, I grew up Muslim. So the the only time I would really, I guess, uh, celebrate Christmas was when I was seeing other family members who weren't Muslim or celebrating it with friends. Uh, And that was quite often. Uh, Both my parents grew up pretty religious and very Christian. So when they converted to Islam, they still wanted some things that I guess were familiar to them and the holiday seasons for a lot of people all over the world is a familiar family time so for most of my life we would spend Christmases with my with my grandparents on either side aunts and uncles in various places we would always kind of you know make sure that we spent time with family even though we didn't celebrate it ourselves um and that's kind of why Christmas has always been or at least this period of time let's say late December to like the first week of January has always been kind of a family time, a time where I can pump the brakes, where I can kind of stop and look at my surroundings. Usually school was out, work is off. For a lot of people, this is that time as well for them, where they can kind of stop the um, hamster wheel that they've been running on for the past year and kind of spend some extra time with uh, people that they're related to. And that was sort of what I've done my whole life. So for me personally, I've always kind of looked at Christmas break as exactly that, a break, a break from reality, a break from having to look at my email, a break from even really looking at my phone. That's something that I fucking hate doing during the Christmas time uh, seasons uh, is staring at my phone, even really fucking texting people uh, bothers me. That's a huge bug out uh, for this period of time. And I know that's really stupid. And most people are like, who the fuck cares? Like, just text back. Um, And I do, and it doesn't matter, but this is the time of the year for me where I want to do as little of that as possible, where I really just want to be in the moment, or I just want to fucking hide away somewhere and watch a bunch of movies, watch, play a bunch of video games, talk to my, like, really close friends only, and just kind of disappear for a while. Um, That's kind of the best way, at least in the past couple of years that I've been using this time. Uh, But uh, I know for a lot of people that that's not what this time is. This time... It could mean a lot of things, especially if you're one of those people who unfortunately, you know, may not love their family that much or just doesn't like spending time around other family members, which is totally fucking normal and uh, totally fucking real. Um, I think that's something that a lot of people don't talk about enough is like, oh, yeah, this is the time for family. What if your family fucking sucks? What if your family's the worst? What about that? That sucks. That's not good. Um, And this is the time where you're pretty much locked away with them for at least two weeks or 10 days or however long it might be, even four days. That can be a nightmare for a lot of people, a true cataclysm that takes them weeks to recover. So I get that, guys. Um, I think for me, 
even though I never lived it, I've known plenty of people who that's their situation. And during this time, you know, they may not be the happiest people in the world. Um, so, you know, I make sure I give people phone calls if they want one or if I feel like they might, you know, benefit from one. And I really hope you guys do that too. anybody listening to this. If, if you know somebody who may like to be alone for the holidays for whatever reason or doesn't want to see a lot of family, if you're actually cool with them and they fuck with you, these are the key words. You're actually cool with them and they actually fuck with you. Give them a call. Give them a quick call. Let them know, hey, I'm not trying to take up your day. Just want to say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's. Uh, you know, it's this will come out, you know, much after Christmas and a few days after New Year's. So if you're listening to this when it comes out, maybe don't say those things, but just say, hey, I'm hoping you're going to have a good year this year. want to see more of you, blah, blah, blah. Just make them feel like there's somebody on this planet that gives a shit about them for who they really are, or the person that they want people to think of them as. Um, you know, a lot of people, they may get the kinds of reinforcement, positive or otherwise, from uh, their family, but it may not mean as much because maybe they don't, you know, feel like their family knows who they are or really cares or believes in the things that they want to accomplish. So a lot of times, even though family would typically be the most important people to you, for some people, you know, words of kindness, positive reinforcements from family members may not be as powerful as a positive reinforcement or an unprompted compliment from somebody that they just like to hang out with or, a, you know, a significant other or a past significant other or whatever the fuck you mean to that person. This is the time of year to kind of remind them what they mean to you and what you mean to them. So that's kind of the best way to, com to combat uh, these kinds of feelings or this particular time for a lot of people is kind of reach out, make that extra call, do that extra text, you know, just to remind people, hey, somebody here knows you, cares about you, likes you, you know, and if they feel like they're being drowned out by their family members or just the reality of the season, that's something that, that, can, that might make their day or make their week. So, you know, always reach out, guys. Uh, I think more than anything what would really help a lot of people is to really just be that listening ear for them, to really be that person that shuts the fuck up this season and really listens to everything that that person has to say. One of the things I noticed um, is that people get weirdly honest during this time of year. Maybe that's just my imagination, but it's really something that I feel like is true. People will tell you things this year if you catch them at the right time. You know, if you catch them at work or if they're distracted or whatever the fuck, this probably won't matter. But if it's like 7 p.m. and you call somebody that you usually talk to a lot or that you have a good friendship with, pay attention to this. They're going to say something this season or in this month, even in January, in the beginning, the fresh, clean page of a new year that they typically wouldn't say. Uh, you're going to hear them kind of thinking out loud about their own lives and what you might mean to their life or what other people might mean to their life. And people kind of get very candid d during this time of year, um, which a lot of, for a lot of reasons I appreciate. I think that's actually a really great thing to do. And, you know, not all the time do you have the kind of reminder to be more honest than you do uh, during this season. So I think a lot of people either uh, unconsciously or consciously 
sort of start living up to that uh, that feeling, or at least that uh, that way of thinking for this season. So um, I implore everyone else to do that too. You know, be honest and listen, uh, because this is going to be the time of year where people really tell you how they feel, uh, and it's important that you hear them when they do. Uh, but yeah, so that's kind of what I have to talk about for the new season, new year, um, Christmas time, you guys kind of having to figure things out all over again in a kind of new, uh, new winter time or new January. Uh, and I hope there's really something in all of this that, you know, you guys might take. So, uh, that was sort of my words on that and let's move on to some funnier shit, huh? So, on to new business. Uh, I do have a episode coming up that's going to be an interview. It's going to be with a old guest of the show. It's going to be Davin Baxter. Uh, actually, he was the first guest on the show, so it's going to be good to follow up with him after, I guess it's been a year and a half since I started The End with Adam back in L.A. So we'll be catching up with him, and we'll be doing a little mini-series with him. I don't want to give too much away. But that's going to be coming up next, uh, just the beginning of that series and uh, a few things um, that, again, I don't want to spoil. So I'm going to stop fucking talking about it. Now, on to new business for this episode. Very few people understand the pain of recording a really good segment that you're super proud of, that you could just did off the dome, no problem, and then you play it back and you realize that you were recording from the wrong audio output and it is worthless. That is my experience with this last segment. I just recorded probably one of the better off the dome segments that I think I've ever done and I can't ever share it with anybody because it was uh, recording off of my speaker on my laptop and not through the condenser mic that I bought. So here we go again with this exact same fucking thing. Jesus, I'm so bad at this. Uh, so <clears throat> what I did want to talk about was forms of media um, that inspired me to start creating what I create now and start sort of, you know, being a creative person in general. I think so many of us have that evangelizing movie or that song or artist that you just love that took you from being somebody that maybe had some natural creativity but very little ambition to becoming somebody who is like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be this person or I want to be like this person or I want to create something that is as good as what this person created for me so that I can give it to somebody else. I think that's a very powerful thing. And I think uh, those f things, those artifacts, whether it's a film, TV show, all those forms of media um, should be cataloged. You know, we should try to share them with each other. Those, just the ones you know that have that special quality of being inspiring to you. So that's what I'm gonna do uh, with this next segment. And I think I'll recurringly, you know, kind of bring this up and talk about it more on other episodes. But for this first episode uh, that I'm gonna be talking about this, I wanted to talk about a piece of media that is sort of the beginning for me in a lot of ways uh, of any creative thought in my mind. Um, when I really think back to it, I would always been a fan of, you know, Saturday morning cartoons when I was a kid, just like any 
you know, kid growing up in the early 2000s uh, was. And um, one of the shows that always inspired me, just like a lot of other kids, was, you know, of course, shows like Dragon Ball Z, Gundam, uh, tons of shows like that that would just be playing on Toonami, which was the programming block uh, in the afternoons and late nights uh, on Fridays and Saturdays uh, on Cartoon Network. That was like where I really, you know, got exposed to really good storytelling and the kind of media that would eventually make me want to write stories myself. Excuse me. I don't know why my voice is cracking. But in that uh, time period, there was one show that stands out among the others. Uh, one show that for me, really, there is a before period of time in my life and then there is an after. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about how I found out about this show, just the sort of experience of you know, getting that media, watching it, trying to understand it over many, many years and kind of integrating it into the collage, so to speak, of inspirational kind of uh, experiences that uh, made me want to tell stories and write stories and, you know, do things that would lead to me talking on this microphone to you guys right now. So... In a lot of ways, this show is uh, a big reason uh, for everything that I do creatively. And that show, of course, as any anime fan should already know, is Neon Genesis Evangelion. That show, for me, was a, a rapture, some, something that really took me and changed me. Um, almost killed a sort of embedded innocence that I had and rebirthed a creative, very cynical person <laughs> that I, you know, am to this day. And I want to talk about how I found out about this show. So like any kid, you know, back then I wanted to get uh, VHSs or DVDs of my favorite shows and watch them over and over again. This is back in those days, right, where you had uh, a DVD that had maybe three episodes of a show on it. Now, where would you go back in the day to get DVDs? Blockbuster. And I was in there all the time. But what I really liked were the off-the-beaten-path uh, kind of third-rate mom-and-pop uh, TV, or sorry, VHS and DVD rental stores. That, for me, always kind of had a sort of mystique to it. It always had a sense of excitement and thrill. You know, you walk into, say, a Mammoth video in Canton, Michigan, and uh, you find, you know, a Yu Yu Hakusho VHS tape that has a movie, an OVA of Yu Yu Hakusho, um, which was a show on uh, Toonami at the time. Uh, so there was this movie that came out that they used completely different voice actors. And I happened to just grab the VHS tape at this uh, third, <laughs> I want to say third party, uh, not big name VHS store or rental shop. What were they even called? Um, and I remember putting it in and I was just horrified. I, I was seeing all my favorite characters talking in these voices that weren't theirs. And that was always an experience for me that I was like, wow, maybe I can find animes that, or shows, anything that is kind of different from what I'm getting on TV. 
of course, you know, that's my elementary school mind working. And it was at that same VHS store that I found a three episode collection of one episode of, or sorry, one sort of segment, I guess it was a story arc of Evangelion. And it's a 26 episode TV show. If you're familiar with anime, then you know this trope that it kind of presents itself as, which is the giant robots uh, sort of fighting aliens trope. You see this in a lot of different anime, and Evangelion presents itself as that kind of anime. Of course, as you watch the show, you start to realize that it is very much not that kind of show, and that it, the you know big robots and explosive fights and sort of the fan service of the show is really masking a very deep and actually quite dark and mature um, meditation on real existentialism, the real daily anxieties of life and making it digestible in a way that somebody as young as, I guess I was 12 or 13 at the time, maybe even younger, um, that I could not not understand understand isn't the word but i could feel these very adult mature themes and as i got older and researched more about the show i started to realize those things that i was feeling when i was a kid like understanding what depression might look like or dread or psychosis right um that that show was really the first exposure that I had to any of those ideas, really. Uh, and the fact that it is, you know, t basically a kid show. I mean, when it played on television, it played, yes, on Adult Swim, but I think also on Toonami as well, which is for children, like I'd said earlier. So, you know, it's a very peculiar thing. But then again, it's Japanese animation. And I would say that they have uh, a little bit more, sometimes more mature standards for what they're, you know, I guess 13 to 16 year olds can handle because I guess that's the group that it was marketed to. So the way that I started to unravel that story, because like I said before, when I was a kid, I genuinely, you know, could only feel these emotions. I couldn't quite understand what the message of the show was or, or what the uh, allure that I was feeling, what it really was composed of. Um, I had to go searching for those answers. So I went on uh, my PC, and this is back in 2004, 2003, 2004, I believe, because I was in fourth grade. Uh, so you're loading up your big old PC. I'd get on Windows Media Player. This is pre-Google. I barely use Google for any of this stuff. Of, by stuff, I mean what I'm about to tell you. Um, I went on Windows Media Player, I would type in just the name of the show, Neon Genesis Evangelion, and any media that was tagged with that online um, would pop up on the media player. By media, I mean if there was a song that somebody had embedded onto a website, if somebody had left a link for a clip of the show, um, any images, right, those would pop up. And when you clicked on those, it would take you to the website that those things are held on. In some ways, it was actually kind of a, a cooler search engine because the results of the media that you're looking for pop up immediately on the player. So you can just, you know, scroll through things without having to actually go on the website. Uh, in some ways, I kind of like that more than I like Google. But the 
experience for me at that time was just getting these bits and pieces, this patchwork of a show that I'd only seen three episodes of, but it affected me so deeply. And I'm making a point to not talk about the real plot of the show. I don't think that that's necessarily the point of why it affected me. I mean, the plot is very interesting and revealing as you watch the show. But um, I'm going to leave that up to you if you want to see it. Uh, I think it's a great show, and it is on Netflix. So if you do want to watch it, please be my guest. But what I'm really talking about is the journey, the experience of watching it, rather than just the actual show itself. Because I think the circumstances and the context of how you consume media is vitally important to to how it affects you and what it eventually uh, ends up meaning to you. So with that being said, getting back to what I was saying, the uh, experience of going through the web and just finding these little bits and pieces of the show and reading pages and pages of synopses and character breakdowns and really trying to understand what is this world that I was let into um, started to create this hunger, this appetite for wanting to consume stories or at least um, fiction and uh the universes of those fictional worlds. I really like digging into the corners of a fictional story and understanding what is that side character's motivation? Why, you know, does this motif keep popping up? What was the symbology of this? What were the writers thinking when they put this thing in or that thing? And Evangelion was my first time really poking and prodding at the boundaries of a form of media. And, uh, that franchise to this day i i find myself every once in a while if i'm bored just kind of going online like i've always done and seeing hey is there anything new about this story that i may have missed because the the actual you know mythos of the of evangelion has so many different ways to look at it and so many uh little i guess stories within stories that you can kind of explore and say oh hey i i didn't know that you know, that was supposed to represent that, or this scene is actually a replica of this other scene that was in this other show. Um, And I think for everybody, I think for a lot of people, maybe Star Wars does that for them. For other people, it might be Star Trek, depending on your age group, right? Everybody's got that uh, metaverse or that other world that you like to explore and learn about, even though it's completely fictional. And for me, as, as a kid, that was sort of how I structured the stories that I started to write and the stories that I started to tell, that they always existed in a world bigger than just the story itself. And I thought that after all this time, I had to kind of trace back, where did I get that habit? Why do I like to tell sort of stories that have these kind of bigger rooms that they exist in? And when I thought about it for long enough, I said, oh, yeah, it was fucking Evangelion. So that was kind of why I wanted to tell you that story today. Um, And, I mean, I could talk about it so long, you know, for so many hours. I think, uh, in reality, I probably know way too much about Evangelion. But for me, it's more than a show. It's, like I said, a demarcation, a before and an after for me. Uh, And that's sort of the way I like to think of it in my mind. But for those of you that have maybe uh, a film or a TV show growing up or uh, a musician that you heard of when you were young, 
um, please email me and let's talk about it. Maybe I can check it out for the first time or maybe, uh, you know, I might know about it and I can talk about my experiences with it. You know, there's so many things we can do to kind of get a little interactive. So let's let's maybe try to explore that. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to keep doing um, just sort of a piece of found media uh, every every new podcast, because I think it's something I can definitely riff on and tell you a lot about myself through. And it's also like a good way to share really inform really interesting, uh, you know, films pieces of media that might be interesting to you so yeah all right so this segment uh i wanted to do something that was going to be a little bit hard for me uh something that i thought would be entertaining for you folks but probably not the easiest thing for me to do which is that i'm going to argue with myself you guys ready i'm going to call this section now uh, the challenge question. And what you can do is you can always type in uh, a challenge question on my website, www.theendwithadam.com and go to the contact me form or contact us or contact. I honestly (laughs) need to check the website. I forgot what the name of that tab is, but it's the third tab. There's only three tabs, so I'm sure you can find it. And on that tab, when you click on it, uh, that'll take you to a little form and you can send me an email uh, and in that email put a challenge question so that the next time I do this segment I'll be answering or arguing with this question both sides of it um, for the duration of a segment so if you want me to argue something with myself that's even harder than this uh, please submit it and I will so here's the question is rap music in a state of decay That's what I want to talk about. Uh, So first, let's operationalize decay, right? Let's define that in the context of this argument or debate. Um, By decay, I mean the final stages of a sort of irreversible decline, meaning that it's not in a slump. We're not in a dark period for rap, but much like rock music, much like swing, much like many other forms of American popular music, its expiration date is coming soon. The creative annals of that particular art form, for the most part, all commercial forms of it have been exploited. And not that the art form itself is done, but that its commercial viability is starting to wane. Um, and that is sort of the definition for this purpose of the word decay. So here's my argument for why it is, and then I'll give you the argument for why it is not. So why it is. We're seeing this ridiculous feeding frenzy of bad legal decisions, murders, um, all sorts of just bad luck in general for rappers, um, and especially up and coming rappers, but not always up and coming. I know I think now it was a few months ago that all of those poor souls of the Travis Scott concert uh, were taken, and that was unfortunate, and I really do feel sorry for, I mean, so many people. I think it was like 10 people. Imagine 10 families in a room. That's a lot of people. Um, so just, you know, peace goes out to them, and, um, you know, my prayers are with them, of course. 
But uh, that, I think, was the signal for something. I think a lot of people were in this idea that it was about Travis Scott and that it was about uh, his particular, I guess, streak of uh, what would the word be? I guess his his streak of just being bad at hosting concerts and constantly inciting violence uh, had kind of caught up with him. And I think a lot of people who knew about his past antics in his concerts and sort of inciting people to riot, getting people to mosh at a rap show, which, I mean, I could, t could talk for hours about how that's r so stupid. But nonetheless, that was his sort of M.O. If you were going to go to a Travis Scott concert, from what I've been told, you kind of were, you know, expecting it to be a little bit rough. So that is... Um, that is unfortunate that that sort of came back and bit him in the ass. But how much has thing have things been coming back and biting rappers in the ass? Whether it's the rampant drug abuse that it was popularized throughout the end of the 2010s and really throughout all of rap uh, has really just started has started to catch up with a lot of these rappers, uh, specifically a lot of the SoundCloud rappers that I absolutely loved during my college years and high school years. A lot of these guys are either dropping like flies, not putting out work anymore, or simply just sort of fading off into obscurity. And so many of them had these, ex you know, explosive starts to their careers. Uh, of course, there's a few people that, you know, have made it through the gauntlet. I would say Kodak Black at this point is an established rapper, which I'm very happy to say because we were all worried about Kodak for a while there. But he's he's beat it all and he's on top. So I'll I'll save him for my uh, why rap is not decaying part. But back to why it is. Um, there were many golden ages in rap, and there were many times in which rap music uh, transcended its art form, taught us something new about creativity and self-expression, and really brought us to a a new place in terms of entertainment and how entertainment was valued. I definitely believe that. However, I think in the past five years, I will cut it at five years, we saw a, a major renaissance kind of explode with SoundCloud and Drake and Future and all that stuff. And rap kind of seemed like it had really reached this sort of, uh, the word I would use is minimalist, um, kind of stripped down, very advanced, uh, hyper-modern version of itself. If you think of postmodern architecture and then you think of how future raps i think there's a lot of parallels there right we are in the postmodern age of rap music however uh that always comes with you know modernity comes with uh more mortality i would say uh and rap has started to feel a lot more mortal than it felt i would say in the 2000s or in the 1990s where I was just a child, but I listened to much, much of the rap from that time. And although there was definitely a lot of murder and a lot of bad shit going on, especially in the end of the 90s and into the, into the 2000s, there was still this uh, feeling, I would say, that rap had more to do, that there was more to say, that there was still more beats to be made, and, and the greatest musicians were still yet to come even though we in the late 90s you had some of the greatest you know there was still this feeling i feel like that okay you know rap has its rap had its first golden age golden age its first renaissance but it's still got a lot more momentum 
And as time has gone on, you know, it hit its first slump, I would say, in the mid-2000s of the late aughts. You know, you had some good rap at that time. You definitely had Lil Wayne. He was on top at that time. But, uh, and of course, like G-Unit before that, and so much of the New York, new age, the new generation New York rappers that were coming out were, you know, around in that time. So there were good rappers, but especially what was being played on the radio, right, was just you know stuff that we little john and shit that we barely listen to anymore um it didn't have a long shelf life i'll put it that way uh and we have kind of re-entered a phase like that now except this time i feel like there has been too much of there's been too many constellations of bad shit for rap especially commercial rap rap that young kids listen to uh for that to sustain itself for another 10 years i think what we'll probably move into is some mixture of a more, a much more simplified version of rap music that is less about street culture and more about consumerism. And I think the foundation for that has completely already been laid out. And then I think that will be mixed with electronic music. And I think if you can listen to this broadcast in five to 10 years, I'm almost positive I will be right about that. And that street culture will not be a uh, thing that will be exported to young kids as readily as it is right now, um, and that will start to take a back seat because I just really think that the damage that it has caused, whether it's the glorification of opioids, whether it's just crime in general, I mean, the amount of crimes that so many of these rappers commit just in a small span of their early success is astronomical and insane. And some of that is, of course, you know, our legal system. And a lot of it also is just bad decision-making. And the glorification of that bad decision-making, I think, in itself has a very short shelf life. It cannot sustain itself because it's an unstable element. It's something that's designed to break down, something that's designed to end. And that is my reasoning for saying that rap is in a state of decay. Flip side. So, although we are definitely in a slump when it comes to uh, commercial rap, right? Like, there's maybe three artists that put out major albums that are accepted as, you know, being good. Those three artists, I would say, are probably Tyler, the Creator, Kanye, and Drake. Those are sort of the gold standards. They hit all the, those three of them hit all the different uh, spheres of rap. Like, Tyler, the Creator, I would say, would be the king of alt-rap, and not to say that there aren't better alt-rappers than him or alt-rappers that might be better right now. He is definitely, in terms of a uh, having a full discography, a true transformation from one end to the other, he, nobody comes close to him in that realm, so I would put him on top. Drake, of course, has all the plaques, has all the platinum uh, singles, has all the radio hits, he's the king of the radio, there is no competition. And then Kanye as the auteur of rap, right, as the high end, what he would call the professional rapper, um, I would put him in that sphere. So those bases are covered. So to say that rap isn't in a golden age, it's like, what better example of a golden age than a established hegemony in each uh, sort of subcategory that you can easily point to each category and say that guy's the best, that guy's the best, and that guy's the best. That shows you that rap has sort of distilled itself and settled itself into a formal hierarchy. And that hierarchy needs to be recognized even within the rap community. And I think that will create some more order to how rap and how rappers 
uh, conduct themselves if they were more aware of where they fit into the rap sort of um, pyramid perhaps there could be better you know ley lines built to have uh, independent artists kind of move into the proper place that they are designed to be in like if you're a street rapper you know you should be competing in the right realms to make sure that you're heard in the street rap world same with if you're an alt rapper bedroom rapper you know you definitely need to make sure you know what you are and market yourself accordingly so i think that's more of the problem than saying that it, it's in a um dark age or that it's in a state of decay um i think at this point rap has become very much like the uh sort of older um versions of popular music where when someone says pop music people think madonna right when or depending on your generation, Britney Spears or uh, Ariana Grande. Like, there's just a name that is attached to that word or to that genre. And that's just what happens to everything. Everything eventually settles into its sort of uh, sort of designed form. And that's kind of what we're seeing with rap. Um, because it had such a huge impact on our society, we kind of put it... Uh, above what it really is which is just a form of music so we don't expect it to have the same life cycle as so many other kinds of music but it will because that is the art form that it is um, it is truly nothing bigger or better than that it's just simply how much it has influenced us that we sort of think of it in a bigger way so that would be my re real answers for rap being you know actually in a renaissance and not in a state of decay and to that point if I could just highlight a few rappers that on their face, people might say, oh, look, this is the perfect example of why rap isn't good anymore or why rap is on its way out. You know, people will play maybe a, uh, an off color Kodak Black song and say, look, he's not even rhyming or blah, blah, blah. Did it ever occur to you that nobody cares about rhyme schemes anymore? Did it ever occur to these uh, sort of uh, pre um, pre-selected wise men of rap that the tastes have changed people aren't interested anymore in your boom bap story time shit people want to hear a great tag a couple of uh, fucking riffs and then ad-libbing maybe that's it maybe the production is what people are listening to and that the rapper, much like in metal or in what's called metalcore or deathcore, the raps, the rapper's lyrics and his voice are simply another instrument laid on top of the sampling, the 808s, and the beat structure itself. Maybe that's what rap has become. And if it has, then you have to respect that. That is the natural progression of music and development of a creative work. So I think it's actually quite arrogant for people to point out, oh, well, he doesn't rap like most deaf, so he's not a rapper, or this or that and the other. And I think we're pretty much done with that conversation. However, I do still hear it sometimes. So I think it needs to be addressed in this conversation, because for a lot of people, that is sort of the easy way to interpret rap and say, oh, well, it was so good back then, or it had meaning back then. And it's and, and, and for me, I find that to be extremely arrogant, extremely dismissive um, 
so many of these rappers who do rap in what people would call the mumble rap style are actually extremely lyrical if they need to be, meaning that someone like Kodak Black, if you were to listen to his song Fourth Quarter, you can hear that he has an incredibly dynamic rhythm scheme, ability to rhyme in different formats, um, but he just simply doesn't use that because that's not what's popular. That's not what makes the money. So he raps in another type of way, which is a lot what people would consider to say would be lazy. I consider it to be a sort of crooning, um, sort of what I would almost call the uh, lounge room version of, of, of rap, you know, where it's just sort of a, a, a crooning spoken word. Um, I think that is incredibly powerful and it's just a new way to uh, express yourself. Um, so there is nothing quite bad about that. Now, does it take some time to adjust your ears for you to be able to like that kind of music? Absolutely. Just like if you were to hear country music, if you're a sane person, you probably won't like it on the first time. But if I'm sure if someone played country music or Kenny Chesney or whatever the fuck these guys are, um, enough times, you would start to understand the rhythm schemes and the uh, nuances and at least find some level of appreciation for it. Um, I use country music just because that is my least favorite kind of music. So I, for the people that might be listening where mumble rap is their least favorite kind of uh, music as well, I'm trying to be fair and say you can appreciate anything if you pay attention to the nuances and also listen to enough of it to really understand it. So that is my... Um, final segment on this episode which is quite psychotic but i think it's a great way to um provide you guys some content give you guys some food for thought so uh thanks you guys and i hope this was a good episode after all this time i do have some fun things coming up in the next couple of uh episodes popping up on your uh, rss feed uh one of those will be a episode with my old longtime friend davin baxter uh, he was the first person that I interviewed on this podcast all those years ago. Those a whole two years ago. Um, and he's coming back and we're going to do uh, quite a substantial episode together. So I hope you guys will be excited for that and um, we'll listen in. So thanks again. Love you guys.